You're listening to audio from First Christian Church. To find out more about us or to donate to our ministries, visit firstabq.org. Good morning. Welcome to First Christian. It is my pleasure to welcome you into this space. A virtual space, a very real space, a time of teaching. Let me just tell you, this is an outstanding group of people. So if you're a guest with us today, we want you to feel at home and know that we are simply a group of people that are trying our best to follow Jesus. And we're stumbling through this life together, learning and growing together. And we invite you to come and to follow Jesus with us. To all of you mothers, oh, thank you so much. Thank you so much for bearing us through your bodies, for giving us life. I want to say thank you to my mom. Thank you to my grandma. Thank you to my dear wife, Donna. We are thankful. Now, I'm thankful even for those of you that are not moms as women, who maybe have endured the pain of not being a mom, or of being a mom who's lost her children or lost her spouse. And I just want you to know that women, they are the the foundation of our society. And so wherever you might find yourself today, I just want you to know that we're thankful for you and glad for you today. Thank you for being women. We need you. You're our rocks. Well, today, as we continue whatever we want in this little short series, I've got to tell you a story uh, that goes back into the Bryce family lore a bit. And I got permission on this one, so it's okay. Our kids, when they were young, really, really loved Legos. Loved them a lot. And Nathan announced to us that he was really interested in the pinnacle of pinnacle Legos, the ultimate Lego, the Lego Death Star. Now this combines two big loves, love of Star Wars, love of Legos, but it's pretty pricey. And we told Nathan that. I'm sorry, but that's beyond our means. That's too big for a gift. That's too big for a gift of grandparents teaming up together. We're not getting you the Lego Death Star. That's going to be up to you to figure out how you can do it. Well, that didn't stop this young, single-digit kid from trying to imagine how to secure the Lego Death Star. So he said, hey, can I save up my money? Like, sure, by all means, save up your money. And so this kid began saving up his birthday money, saving up holiday money, even little holidays where my mom would send just a couple of bucks for Valentine's Day, that would go into the fun. Uh, Nathan and Lizzie, as young kids, started collecting up pecans, which is a priceless commodity in Texas, and selling them for cash. Working jobs. Nathan did this for six months, for a year, for 18 months, for two years. Like, even when we would try to buy a gift on on a trip a little souvenir no that money was in the pocket waiting to go to lego death star and he bought it he bought it on his own and lizzie at the time said this is the greatest day of our lives (laughs) there's something about that that ties in to what we've been doing and what we will finish next week in this series of whatever we want of having very clearly and intently in your mind what you want. And not just knowing it, 
but deciding that you're going to pursue it. And then, the means, setting together a plan, a strategy of arranging your life in such a way that you can achieve it. Now, this Lego Death Star, that's a physical thing. And we're talking about this more in a spiritual way, but the principles apply. They fit together. They go hand in glove. We've been looking at a spiritual journey of how we look at desire and how we come to understand desire. And in that first week, we wanted to identify what our desires were, and so we put them on little cards. And that was our main mission. In the second week, we focused in on we become what we want. We become our desires. So we got ourselves thinking about how desire can be a master and how we must very carefully choose those things that we desire. In the third week, we took it a little bit further and said, this is going to take some effort on our part. This is not something that we can sit back passively and just wait to come. We must take effort. And it's something that begins from the inside to the outside. You remember the BMW blue paint? You can't just paint the car blue and count on it to be a BMW. And then just last week, uh, James stepped in and, and tied into this series and took it in a deeper way that we not only become what we want, but as he put it, we are what we worship. And today, we're going to take that even further as we look at the means of accomplishing what we want. This week and next week when we close out the series together. This means gets us to decide not only what we want and that we decide we want to get it, but making a plan, strategizing, conceiving of what this will look like in our lives, taking it from that decision that's in our heart to something that's more of a decisive plan. Because if we look at our lives and it's not exactly what we want, we have to understand that we can't separate system failure from what we do. That our actions in this matter. And that maybe we need to look at, if we're not getting what we want, that maybe we're lacking. We're lacking in knowing what it is that we want. Maybe we're lacking in that decision to actually pursue it. Or maybe we're lacking the decision to make a plan for what this will look like in our own lives. So, it's going to feel something like a how-to, which I guess it has been for the whole series, as we've thought about how it is that we get whatever we want. And last week, whenever we looked at this, we looked at the book of 2 Peter. And so I want to invite you, if you are able to stand with me, or if it's just something that you are able to do in your heart, stand for the reading of God's Word. Today I'm going to read 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 2 through verse 8. May grace and peace be yours in abundance in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything needed for life and for godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Thus, He has given us through these things His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may escape from the corruption that's in the world because of lust and may become participants of the divine nature. For this very reason, 
you must make every effort to support your faith with goodness and goodness with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with endurance and endurance with godliness and godliness with mutual affection mutual affection with love for if these things are yours and are increasing among you they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord and Jesus, Savior, Jesus Christ. The Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, in this particular story, that lays out less like a story and more like a virtue list, we left off looking at the effort that's required. That it's going to take action on our part. In fact, remember we were talking about excelling in excellence, doing our very best. And we really drove that down. But it's easy to overlook another word that's there that amplifies it even further. Not only do your best, not only make every effort, but to support, to support your faith with virtue. Now, that word is a word that gets lost to us because we just see it. There's actually a story behind the word. It's not just a virtue list. There's a story. So what I want you to do is picture yourself in ancient Greek. In ancient Greece where plays are taking place. Now, when we think of the greatest plays uh, that we've seen, a lot of times we jump to which playwright? Shakespeare. Now that's 500 years ago, and Shakespeare is fantastic. But let's go 1,500 years even further back. Let's go to 500 BC, when Esocles, Sophocles, Euripides, these were the playwrights. Now, in their day, a big part of a play was the chorus. You needed a chorus to pull things off. And a chorus didn't just have to sing. Sometimes they would say things in unison. And, you know, you couldn't always pull off a play because they're so expensive. You get so many chorus members that you have to pay. And so this word support references donors that would step up to the plate and underwrite the play by buying the chorus. It takes that off the agenda. So it's kind of like today, if we were to go to a performance and it says, this performance is brought to you by ConocoPhillips, or Google, or Microsoft, or maybe the name of an individual, it's underwritten in some way. Or maybe a, a movie with CGI, computer graphics interface, all the money that must go in to all of those names of programmers to create the effects that make our eyes see something that we think is real but it's actually not. Well, that's the effort that we're talking about here. To put your money where your mouth is, to really dig down deep and say, I've got skin in the game, this is something that I'm invested in doing, and I am going to support it. And these, these virtues, these eight virtues, making every effort to support your faith with virtue, your trust in God, with actions that show that you trust in God. These are like bricks, a layer of bricks that is one foundation upon another layer of bricks. 
I don't want you to think of it so much as a ladder where you must get each one in the certain linear order, step one, step two. It's not necessarily like that. It is a pretty nice progression of each one of these things that begins to help us think about retraining our hearts from the inside to the outside, step by step. And today we'll look at three of them, knowledge, self-control, and perseverance. Now, whenever we think about this idea of training ourselves from the inside out, I've said many times, and I've already said it a couple today, we focus in on having a vision of what we want. Setting our intention, the intention of our heart to make that decision, and then putting in place the means, the plan or the strategy to achieve that. And whenever we look at our lives, sometimes we're not achieving what we want to achieve. We may not have the character that we want. Let's understand that character is what we do without thinking. Character is our knee-jerk reaction. It is what's quickest to our lips. That betrays what our character really is. And what we're looking for is to retrain, not just by focusing in on a bunch of externals, but retrain from the inside to the outside where what's natural, what's easiest, is for us to follow Jesus. Where what makes the most sense and what's the easiest thing that's front to our lips, first thing that we do is following Jesus. And that means we have to begin to identify a couple of things. First, we have to pay attention to those thoughts, those feelings, those actions, even relationships that are not helping us follow Jesus. Pay attention to them. Notice them. These are things that keep us from following Jesus, and you have to ID them. Now, it's pretty easy for us to begin to beat ourselves up, and, and I don't want you to do that. A lot of times it just takes identifying them at first and saying, you know, that's enough. I have seen this relationship as probably being a problem, and I see this thought that I'm having or this action that I'm having, it's a problem. And for now, just notice it and begin to pay attention and ID it, because in those moments, we have to then take our mind and let our mind grab control of our body. So the second step, you ID these actions, these relationships, feelings, whatever, that hinder you in following Jesus. And the second step is to do more of things that might help you follow Jesus and less of other things. Now that, that might seem really simplistic, but really get into the nuts and bolts of your life. What are those things that you need less of right now? Now, I, I can't guess what it is for you. It might be a girlfriend. A girlfriend who just fertilizes bad thoughts in your mind. It might be that it is a subscription that you have that is nurturing your want, nurturing your desire, and maybe a subscription that you should cancel, right? That you let go of because it's not helping you. Well, maybe, maybe it's a different kind of relationship, a club that you're a part of, where this group of people gets together and there's a lot of anger, or maybe it begins to instill anger in you, or generate and nurture an argumentative spirit. 
Maybe that's a club. Maybe that's a group of people that you need less of in your life. So are you tracking with me here? We identify these habits, these practices, that are giving us problem, and we begin to change them. We turn the dial either up or down on things that are helping us, and so we increase those or turn the dial down on those things that are negative for us. A couple hundred years ago, 250, there was a spiritual guy by the name of Nicodemus, and he talked about the mind as being a king. Whenever a king wants to take a city, one of the first things that king does, before he even has to do any kind of a battle, or she, is to cut off the supplies to that city. So you cut the water supply. You cut off the food trucks. You cut off all the major utilities, and you begin to starve out that city. So the battles take place on the perimeter, on the outside, that's kind of this idea of doing less, providing less nourishment for those things in that city. Then the king can come in and take over the city in a weakened state. So how do we take our minds, let our mind be king to take over the thoughts, to take over the actions of our lives, to begin to take control? Well, that means that we have to increase and nurture other things. If we're cutting off the supply lines to some things, what are the other things that we could improve? How might we nurture spiritual virtues, practices of prayer, practices of stillness, engaging ourselves in service to people that we might not even like, serving people we might disagree with, even on very fundamental things. How would putting ourselves in those kind of circumstances benefit others? You know, next week we're going to be doing the, the blood drive with Vitalant. And a lot of you are first-time blood donors, and I want to encourage you again. This is a chance to give your blood to someone whose name you will never know, whose life you may save, but you won't get any credit for it. It's a chance for us to give, to serve. And those kind of practices help retrain us. They shape us. So simply put, there are things that we want to do more of and things that we want to do less of. Not too long ago, uh, my doctor put me on a more restrictive diet, trying to get me in my older condition. Yes, I know I don't look that old, so thank you for that. <laughs> but in my older condition to gain control of things that aren't going well, right? And, and she explained that this diet may take me a year or two to really get involved with. And this is true for us, too, in the spiritual life. Sometimes these things take time. They're not quick. They're not fast. So the three things. The three things that will help us on our means that we want to add to. First, knowledge. Let's look at knowledge a bit. Knowledge is in the air right now. Graduations, degrees school coming to the end of a semester. And we can think about knowledge in terms of content or get it, getting those degrees or gaining those uh, steps along our training. They're important. I want to push knowledge a little bit further by looking very closely at how Peter describes knowledge here. Information and content, it's very important. You know, in the Christian life, knowledge of the Bible, knowledge of the gospel, uh, knowledge of what is good. This is this is positive. 
But let's look at what Peter says about knowledge. So if you've still got your Bible open, look at these things that describe knowledge in a little different way, in a relational way, like a friend, like a lover. Is that too graphic to think about knowledge of God in terms of knowing a lover? Let's look at what Peter says. In verse 8, and then again in verse 1, For if these things are yours and are ever increasing among you, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in what? The knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Knowledge of Jesus as King. So that's one use. Knowledge of Jesus as King. Knowing who the King is is one thing. We could know that Elon Musk is the head of Tesla, that he has Asperger's, that he's got a lot of money. That doesn't mean that we know Elon Musk. This is a knowledge that's deeper to recognize that Jesus is king of our lives. All right, look at a second one. This is in verse 1. Look at the second part of verse 1. Received a faith as precious as ours through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So we get king again, but we get Savior. Jesus is the one who heals us. Again, not in the sense of having a doctor and, okay, this doctor heals me, and I know where, they're, where they got their school, and where they did their training, or whether or not they're on our insurance. No, this is knowing the doctor as the healer, the one who is making a difference in our lives. All right, this one's popped up several times, but I'd point you to verse 2 and verse 8. In verse 2, the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. We're in touch with who our origin is, which is God, and who our Lord is, which is Jesus. This is an identification of who's in charge of our lives. A lot of different words, right? King and Lord, origin. And the fourth one that I want to point to you about how he uses knowledge is in verse 3. His divine power has given us everything needed for life and for godliness through what? The knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and power. Called us. God, in His greatness, calls us and invites us into relationship. You see that? Most of these examples of knowledge help us to see knowledge in a relational way. One that takes us deeper than just knowledge of someone. I think about Pete. He knew Jesus. He knew when he snored. He knew Jesus' facial expressions. He probably remembers the time when Jesus spilled some water on him. He knew him in that relational way. And we too today, while we can't see facial expressions or hear him snoring, we can live in relationship with Jesus as well. All right, so knowledge. We got the first one? Everybody nodding their head? Okay, good. I'm checking to see, making sure you're not nodding off. The second one is self-control. Ah, self-control, really? No. I mean, knowledge, we can say, that sounds good, I like that. But self-control? Are we going to tell Americans they can't do things? That makes us crazy. Don't you dare tell me I can't do anything, right? That's denying me. Well, self-control, especially if you talk to an athlete, if you talk to someone who's very disciplined, they know that there are some impulses that you have to deny. 
You have to turn away from. We have to express self-control in order to grow. Even though it might feel un-American, we're adding some practices, remember? And we're taking away some practices. And this self-control is actually a fruit of the Spirit. It's a good thing to exercise control. Because we're identifying what we want, and in so doing, by identifying what you want, you're also identifying what you don't want, or what's in second place, or 50th place, because you're very focused on what's number one, and that's what you're about. There are times when I wish we could have something of a soul mirror. You know, we can look in the mirror and get upset with how things are going, with our weight, or our hair, or our skin, or whatever it is. But wouldn't it be nice to have a soul mirror too? Because we might have an impression of who we are, but if we looked in that soul mirror, we might see someone that's more like a, a starved child, or maybe a WNBA athlete, or maybe someone who's an addict with clumps of hair and missing teeth. What is it that we could see by looking at our soul about who we are becoming and the decisions that we're making in this moment? Now, let me be clear. There's lots to learn and grow on this journey, and self-control is only one part of this. But we're trying to get in our bodies, our souls, our minds in shape where they naturally want to follow Jesus. Okay, third one, persevere. So we've got knowledge, we've got self-control, and persevere. And at this point, we could enter in a lot of other words like endurance and being steadfast and how much are you willing to bear up under suffering? And, and all of that would be good. Your response to whenever things suffer. With endurance, I'm pressing you to think about your training. Because it's, it's very easy to think, oh, I just need to try harder. I need to be perfect. And that's not what it's like in the spiritual life. It's not about trying harder or being perfect at all. It's about training. Let me give you an example. A lot of you know that I like to cycle. I like to do mountain biking or road biking. Now, if you wanted to cycle too, there's only so much I could do. I could send you an email. I could coach you. I could ride along beside you. But I couldn't take your bike and ride it for you. There are things that you have to do. And I want to tell you something that I learned a long time ago. I, I used to do, uh, I still do, but not this particular ride, take on these century rides where you go 100 miles. And one of the ones that I did was called the Hotter Than Hell 100. And see, my mom's not going to be happy that I even said that, but it's descriptive, let me tell you. It's in Wichita Falls, Texas. It's in late August. It's 100 degrees, and you go 100 miles. It's brutal. Well, I took it like I take everything, just full on, trying as hard as I can, training, pushing, until I figured out something. I'd, I'd done this ride a number of times before I figured out about heart rate zones. That pushing and trying to your ultimate extreme, that's important in training. There are times when you need to do that, but you can't do the whole 100 miles that way. In fact, for endurance, you have to dial it back. You have to get your, yourself in a different heart rate zone to make it work. And when I did that, it totally transformed my cycling. 
Now, there's still times when I press as hard as I can for a ride, times when I cycle in and out of going as hard and then less hard. But then there are times when I'm trying to maintain a certain heart rate so that I'm in tune with what my body can do. Are you with me on this, of how this applies to the spiritual life? Sometimes we can try so hard that we fail and we give up. It's important to dial it back, to slow down. You don't have to be the next pope. I know you're not trying to be a pope. That's not your interest. Insert your spiritual person that you want to be like. You can't be like them tomorrow. You have to dial it back and train. Learn about persevering. Learn about the self-control that's necessary. Learn about the knowledge, the relationship that will get you where you need to go. Growth will happen. When the conditions are right, growth will happen. Now, you cannot make an apple tree produce figs. Yes, I know you can splice in a fig branch into the apple tree. And I'm not talking about that. You can't tell an apple tree to just squeeze out a fig. It's not going to happen. Any more than we can critique a plant for not growing like it should when we've got it in too small of a pot, we're not watering it, it doesn't have enough light. We are about arranging the environment, arranging the conditions to where the soil is right, the sun is right, there's no disease in the plant, and growth will come, even in the spiritual life. And these disciplines, this training that I'm describing, actually helps us to do what we can't do by trying by direct effort. Because we lean back into the power of God to trust that God is going to help us get to where we want to go, especially when it's to be like His Son, especially when it's to follow after Jesus. You know that, that Lego Death Star, uh, Nathan wondered about putting it in his room when we moved here. But we did. He put it in there. The Lego Death Star didn't go with him to college, right? They don't play with Legos anymore at the age that they're at. Things that we invest ourselves in like that eventually fade. They get dinged up. They get put away. But the lessons that we learn along that path, now those are invaluable. When we learn about the value of money or of hard work, those are lessons that are timeless and they transcend that one purchase. Every event of life becomes an opportunity to grow in our lives of being like Jesus, of following Jesus. And these lessons learned are something that we can take with us. Remember that we become what we desire, that our desires shape us, and we have to own that. We have to decide, this is what I want to do. And begin to put in place the strategy, the methods. Not that can be overbearing and try to break us like a horse. No. That will help us train. Where this will be natural and easy, and we don't have to stress. Those mistakes that we make are nothing more than obvious bumps along the path of where we're really going. No obstacle keeps us from growing and following Jesus. Well, more to come next week as we close out this series, but now let's just return all of this to God in prayer. 
God, I'm so thankful that you are a God that's not obsessed with our perfection or our performance. That you take us as we are, but you don't leave us there. And I pray that you would help each one of us. Give us the energy. Give us the will and the decision-making that we need in order to put in place the plan of what it looks like to follow Jesus, to embrace the good, to become like you. Father, bless us as we continue in our worship, as we gather around the table. We pray this through Jesus. Amen.